Hey guys, it's time for a classic camera revival deep dive. This time around, the immortal Nikon F2. Coming to you live from Toronto, Canada, this is the classic camera revival. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you certainly will after listening to our show. Hi guys, it's Bill Smith from Classic Camera Revival, and I'm sitting here surrounded by Nikon F2s with my buddy James. <laughs> How you doing? Hey Bill, how's it going? Uh, looks like we are uh, knee-deep in Nikon Fs over here. Well, pardon me, F2s. F2s, which some people, and uh, I guess the present company here, uh, consider probably one of the best manual-focused cameras ever made. Well, certainly, I think if, you know, spanning over... Um, uh, I guess essentially a decade from I think seventy one to eighty was the pretty much the era of the yeah. F two. Yeah, it's weird. I'm just doing some, yeah, of course, copious research. <coughs> it's funny. Like around nineteen seventy, Nikon shipped about a hundred thousand units, and it was still selling great guns. But it was sort of you know everyone knows around the table by then the Nikon F, which was introduced in nineteen fifty nine, was getting a little long in the tooth in terms of design. It's you know, you got to take the bot, the whole back and bottom off if you want to change film. So the F2 introduced in 1971 fixed a few of those sort of like design deficiencies, as you would call it. And if you're kind of looking at it, you kind of squint to saying, oh, yeah, that kind of looks similar. But there are some big differences. For starters, the meter head uh, and probably about a fair chunk of the production was shipped with meter heads as opposed to playing prisons. The meter heads were powered by two one and a half volt S76 batteries, which you can basically find almost anywhere. You can find them in your pocket most days. Yeah, but you know that said, Bill, uh, it's interesting about the batteries. The bat the camera itself actually didn't need any batteries other than to power the meters, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It was it was mechanical. Um, shutter speed went from basically bulb. All the way up to one two thousandth of a second, which is really cool. It's pretty incredible if you consider uh, this is back in 1971, essentially the year I was born. So that's why the F2 has a special place in my aging heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've got like, oh boy, I think I lost count of the number of Fs uh, I have in my collection. So... When the F2 uh, dropped in 1971, uh, the uh, Nikon F was still being produced, and they kept producing that until about 1974 because, again, some diehards really didn't want to stop shooting with the F. But once the umbilical cord was cut, yeah, they switched to the F2, and they loved it. <laughs> so what's so um, great about the F2 is you've got uh, a lot of options as a collector and user. Um, of course, the most elegant-looking one is the uh, one with the, the plain prism, which I don't have, and they're kind of expensive. Um, but to really kind of, like, differentiate the production, they came in sort of two variations. You had the pre-automatic indexing meter heads, which were made from 1971 to 1977, the year the Sex Pistols came out, if you need that <laughs> sort of, like... Uh, place marker in history and the pre-ai meter heads are the, the dp1 which is the photomic which everyone is familiar with it had a sort of a meter sensitivity sensitivity of ev uh, exposure value 1 to exposure value 17 at 100 iso and it was basically the classic 
needle at the bottom between the plus and the minus and it's very the ergonomics are really simple like i've kind of a very focused match needle sort of look in the uh in the viewfinder just you know when the needle got there you knew you were good yep and the the big bonus with this one is they're actually probably the most reasonable f2s on the market and uh if you're running with a substantial manual focus lens collection, yeah, you could get away with just this one. What happened next is Nikon uh, kind of kicked it up a little bit. Uh, the DP2 meter head, or the F2S, which we both have examples kicking around, uh, it's the one that's the super tall meter head. It was produced in 73. It went to 1977. The difference is, of course, under the hood, uh, it still kept the same, I think, sensors, but they went to LED readouts. Mm-hmm. And it had it was more sensitive. So it went to exposure value minus 2 to exposure value 17 at 100 ISO, which means if you're getting more critical in lower light situations, the F2S is your friend. Well, it did have a little bit more of a sensitive meter too, mm-hmm. and you know I think one of the key things that, like one of the things that I think about a lot when uh, I think of the F two is it really represents again one of the most significant crossroads in camera development. Like if mm-hmm. we look at the gap in technology from fifty nine to seventy one, so pre fifty nine, pretty much everything was a rangefinder. The Nikon F kind of introduced the world of the SLR to everyone, and then the F2 was kind of the refinement of that uh, of that SLR sort of system, where you had like a proper hinged back door, you had a modular system camera where you could change meter heads. Of course, as you mentioned, Bill, that kind of happened in the mid 70s and 73 when the A and the AS versions came out, which I think actually sort of even represented another sort of sub crossroads in camera technology as well, which is the um, uh, the introducing of Nikon's AI. Yeah, service. that happened actually in 77. There's another meter head that's, I guess, one of the pinnacle of for the pre-AI, which is the SB or the DP3. They only made that for two years. Yeah. And if you got one, uh, and again, it's another one if you've got money to spend and you got a significant amount of Nikkor manual focus glass with the classic rabbit ears on top, then this is the camera for you because the 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 meter was even more sensitive because they switched to silicon cells for their sensors. And the EV was like minus four to plus 17 and 100 ISO, which is like, wow, you know. Uh, so if this is the, if you've got a significant amount of pre-AI and AI, AIS glass with the rabbit ears, I have to explain, <laughs> provide, put that proviso there. Yeah, this is one to look at, particularly if you also like something with a bit of collector value to it. Yeah. And for those who don't know, what when Bill says rabbit ears, if you ever look at a Nikon lens, You'll see the little two sort of antennae-looking things, or the two prongs uh, that stick out the top of the lens. And um, essentially, what that is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's Nikon. What Nikon's technical term for it, or I guess in Latin, well, not really Latin, but it would be the meter coupling shoe, uh, which is the thing that actually ties the it couples the meter to the aperture setting on the lens. It also bore a new uh, uh, colloquialism called the Nikon twist. Which is which meant that if you if you wanted to take your remove your Nikon lens uh, off your camera, you had to at least have it at f eight, and then you had to twist the aperture ring when you uh, uh, either took the lens off or put it back on to recouple the uh, the rabbit ears to uh, uh, to the meter. Yeah, 
Exactly. And I know that twist well. I do it subliminally. <laughs> so 1977. I did the twist and I broke my ankle. <laughs> yeah, but you came off a ladder, but that's a story for another day. 1977. The Sex Pistols hit the world with their uh, groundbreaking album. The Clash came out. And, of course, automatic indexing, which made that lovely Nikon twist obsolete, even though we still do it out of habit. So what happened? They came, Nikon kind of slimmed their, the, F, the number of F2s on their, in their product lineup. Uh, they had the DP11, which is the same as the Nikon F2 Photomic, which only took AI lenses, AIS lenses, or if you've got... Uh, and wait for this. If you've got autofocus lenses that are that still have the aperture ring on it, like the A up to the AFD, you can use those on your F2. Yes, you can. But I have to provide only the uh, post seventy seven models. Yeah. And so the DP11 is essentially the same as the DP1, and of course the DP12, which is the F2AS. Uh, the one F2 I don't have is the same as the DP3, same specs underneath, only again it takes the automatic indexing lenses. So other than that, it's like uh, I've, oh God, I've owned F2s for over a decade, and I've shot with them all. Uh, I've taken them up to northern Muskoka with me, and they're the perfect camera for in the field although the only downside is you do have to be careful what lenses you bring with you because it does become a heavy load pretty quick uh, they are heavy they are bulky um but we're talking about early 1970s technology here um it is one of those cameras like you know like why shoot it why are there such a huge fan base for this camera well i think part of it is um well number one the uh, the availability of the high quality optics uh that nikon that basically made Nikon what it is, um, and that all happened, uh, I think, with the onset of uh, uh, of the F all the way, you know, from F onwards. Uh, so back in '59 onwards is when that whole, um, I guess, appeal of the uh, Nikkor optics, uh, you know, kind of took hold. Uh, people were in the '70s were very much um the market was very much after a fully all mechanical body uh if you look at the technology that went into the uh, focal plane shutter uh first uh with titanium shutter curtains mm -hmm. um shutter speed of one two thousandth of a second again being modular you had the choice uh so you know as technology improved so nikon was really thinking ahead from a manufacturing standpoint in the early 70s if you if you look back at it you know by the base body and then you can interchange the heads as the technology grew so um you know it's it's kind of incredible if you look at the way companies operate today versus how they operated in the 70s like there was so much um cognition or precognition required um as to how the technology would develop um and you know what were you know what were they thinking they wanted to lock you into the nikon system so the minute you got an f you were kind of there until the you know you if you bought an if you bought an F two, they had you until the F three came out. Yep, and of course that kind of upset the Apple cart too because the F three was the first fully electronic camera that Nikon came out. And if we all remember back in those days, a lot of the pro photographers were like, oh, "I don't want the F 3 I heard the F two in nineteen eighty one was worth more than the F three in the used market. Yeah. New, just because working pros yeah. just didn't trust the F three exactly. because they were scared their batteries are going to die on yeah. them. Uh, 
but again, you know, you, you see that going forward uh, with the F3 and the F4, and well, that's almost a subject for another episode. Uh, yeah, well, there's, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many, you know, examples of this camera. There's, there's like, you know, all the different variants that are available. Um, so there's an F2 for everyone, basically. Pretty much. You know, and I think uh, anyone looking into kind of getting into sort of, I'm going to say, I mean, in context, the advanced film SLR market, the F2 is kind of where you'd probably want to start if you're in the Nikon system. You know, exactly. Like if you're if you're in the Canon system, probably the equivalent, you know, you're looking at the A1, AE1 programs kind of thing. Actually, and I was thinking the F1. I, I think, yeah, I would say... Yes, but then if you kind of look at it, only from a chronological standpoint, like kind of the F1, well, I guess when did, well, you know, you know what, I guess I'm kind of confusing it with the F1N. So the F1N would kind of be around the same time as the F3, right? Actually, no, well, again, we're talking, we're straying a little bit, but again, F1 actually appeared the same time as the F2, and it was in the Canon's answer to it, mm-hmm. and they revised it in the mid-70s, so it became the Canon F1N lowercase. Essentially, I think they sort of decreased the uh, film advance sweep and a few other things under the hood. You're thinking the new Canon F1, which yeah. is their answer to the F3. Yes, because that's, that's the one I have. We'll talk about. We'll talk. I have the new F1N. But, uh, you know. So we'll talk about that, I guess, on another time, because <laughs> we're talking F2. Yeah. So you've got like what an SB, AS, and an A, and an F2A. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess interesting story about my A. I guess when I bought my A, I bought it from Joan. She she told me that it was just a regular uh, photomic, so uh, like with a DP one. Um, and I guess I paid the price of a DP one for it, which is I guess to my benefit. And I I never even looked at it that closely, um, because primarily my I guess in my rotation my primary F two was my F two SB, and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I and let's be honest. Like the reality is, is there's no difference in shooting any variant of the F two. You're just getting a more. You're, you're, it's it's the different flavors of meter heads. Exactly. So when it comes down to the actual physical mechanical shooting of it, yes, you'll take a, a quick second to orient. And in fact, you know, you look at the SB and the AS, the meter display is the same as a Nikon FM. Yep. You know, one of the other things to uh, consider with the F2 uh, series of cameras as well is that uh, not only was there uh, a modular um, meter head, but there was a whole pile of focusing screens that were available for mm-hmm. this camera as well. So, gosh, I think there was probably about 12 or 13 of them. So I'm not going to get into the details, but, um, you know, different focusing spots, different diameters, plane mats, uh, acute mat type screens. Grid uh, screen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, there again, it's a camera that you can customize for everyone. So I think Nikon really kind of uh, broke the glass ceiling at the time to cater to uh, the preferences of various pros that are out there. And I think that's what, you know, the F2, I think, was primarily um, the, the key driver behind Nikon's success with the pro photographer market uh, in the 70s and 80s. Like, you know, that's why... You know, everyone says Nikon is a photographer's camera, and that's all centered around the F2, I believe. I think you're right on that one. So if you're pondering getting an F2, like I think what market prices for the SB are around 400 bucks 
I yep. want to say 400 Canadian. So I'd say what 325 US. Yeah, and I think you're you're probably looking at about 500 US for an F2 AS. Yeah, a realistic price. A I realistic find it, one. I find some of them are you know you look at it going really. Yeah, but hey, look, we're in early 2019 right now, and if we look at the prices of film cameras over the last two years, and more specifically over the last year, like I mean, God, you kind of wish it was the stock market. Yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm going to bite the bullet and look for an a, a Chrome. I want a, a Chrome AS, but yeah. I'll settle with a black one. But I'm going to grab one this year. Well, look, I'll, all you got to do is, you know, if you have a Chrome body right now, just find yourself a nice DP12 head. And uh, the the irony is the the AS DP12 head is worth the same as a full. That's true. But yeah, the bodies are essentially free with <laughs> free with purchase, <laughs> free exactly. gift with purchase. Um, but that said, you know, there's a lot of them out there. Uh, these were primarily used by pros in the 70s, so the, a lot of them are in various states of condition and wear. Um, they're, uh, so, you know, many of them will be in need of a CLA when you buy them, and I think a lot of the good examples have been bought up by uh, the resurgence of film photographers over the last couple of years, so they are getting a little bit more difficult to find. Uh, this has created a huge market for uh, a repair tech in the UK called Solver Wong, who is basically the king of the F2, um, uh, uh, I guess, repair domain, if you will, and he's located in the UK. I am contemplating um, sending my F2 AS that has a little bit of a, of a problem with the uh, shutter speed uh, knob on mine. Mm -hmm. A little retainer spring is busted, so it doesn't work in the best way. Um, I don't know what his prices are. My understanding is it's about a six-month uh, waiting period. For, yeah, he's, uh, not, he's not cheap, but you do get what you pay for. Like, it'll yeah. come back better than factory Oh, spent. gosh, yeah. And, like, I, I've checked out his website, and I've seen, like, what he's done in terms of, uh, or what he does, like, how he overhauls a camera. And, oh, my God, you will get a brand new Better than factory. So he puts in, you know, I guess aftermarket upgrades in your F2 in terms of some of the mechanisms and components that go in there. So he improves on Nikon's engineering. And uh, you know what? If you're an F2 lover like uh, Bill and I are, I would certainly, um, you know, think about uh, putting that in your future and having a, a showpiece of a, of a film SLR in your collection. A shootable one. A shootable one. That's the other bonus with F2s. All of them are shootable. Yeah, like, you know, these are, these cameras, uh, you know, they, they just take a beating and they're, they're heavy. Like, it's one of the, it, it's, it, it has the moniker of uh, zombie apocalypse camera. And only a few cameras have that moniker these days. Yeah, so if you run out of film, you can use it as a defensive weapon. Yeah. You could shoot it out of a blunderbuss. It'll probably survive. <laughs> Well, I guess that's it for the Icon F2. So it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival, and we'll see you again soon. It's James Lee here. Go out there, try an F2. Um, you'll love it.